The Business of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Land Trust. Did you know sportsmen spend over $5 billion annually in hunter and angler access fees? Land Trust is a platform that connects sportsmen with farmers and ranchers like you who have untapped profits just by providing access to their land. Go to landtrust.com slash BOA, as in business of agriculture, to see how much you might add to your bottom line. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Business of Agriculture. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. But you knew that when you tuned in because it said so in the introduction. Got a great show for you today because I've got a great guest. Smart dude. He's from north of the border. That is, if you're an American, he's north of the border. If you're a Canadian, he's right in your home country. His name is Lionel Cambites, and he is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Above Food. I am always keeping my finger on the pulse of things, as you know, to bring information to you, the agricultural professional. And so some stuff that I've run across, I think this would be very interesting to my listeners because it's probably something they haven't seen much of. We're talking about the future of food. We're talking about uh, trends that are impacting food. We're talking about things like the environmental eating. We're talking about using pulses and alternative proteins. No, we're not going to get into beyond meat. We're not going to get into any of these fights. We're just going to talk about what the future looks like with a guy that is a agricultural background guy who is now a food company uh, owner and, uh, and founder and CEO of. So anyway, Lionel, welcome to the business of agriculture. Well, thank you, Damien. A pleasure to be with you and, and uh, I, I, your podcast, The Smart Business of Agriculture. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so um, here's what we got going on is, you know, all my folks that are listening, they're business people in ag, they might be farmers, etc. And they're so busy doing what they're doing that sometimes there's these things that are coming to the industry and like they kind of see it. But I think that you guys are really doing a good job of seeing something that's a trend in the marketplace to capitalize on. And what I'm talking about is environmental eating and uh, consumers that want some alternative to what they're seeing now. And I always say that these consumers want food that says something about them. All this crap about, oh, tell your story. I'm like, the consumer doesn't give a crap about your story. They want to buy food that says something about them. And I think that above food is capturing this. So let's just uh, start from the beginning. What is above food? Well, thank you very much, Damien. Above food is, is, a, is a fully vertically integrated seed to fork food company. And what we've chosen to do with our roots in, 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 in big, big Canadian and, and North Dakota agriculture, we've chosen to, to take what we think are the best proteins in the world grown in Montana and North Dakota, Saskatchewan, Alberta. This is where the best, the, the new proteins are grown, like chickpeas and faba beans and red lentils and green lentils and all those great new proteins. <clears throat> and those are emerging as being the feedstock of some of the new plant-based protein foods that are out there. And you know, there's only one thing certain uh, that, 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 um, uh, that 83% of all North Americans will eat more plant-based food in their diet moving forward. 
And they're looking for a balance, a balance between, between their existing diets and the, and the new plant-based protein industry as it's emerging. You, and you talked about so, something. Go ahead, Damon. Just so the listeners don't think, oh, my gosh, Damon, you're going vegan here. No, we're not going vegan. No. But, uh, mm-hmm. And some of the folks are probably saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm in a cranberry business out here in Wisconsin. What's he talking about? A lentil. Uh, and a chickpea. These are plant-based proteins, as you say, that are expanding rapidly in consumption globally. Uh, some of my Montana clientele, for instance, is like, yeah, we just used to make oats and wheat out here, and now we're growing these lentils. Tell the listener about what a lentil is, or a chickpea. And, then, and like you said, the consumption, a chickpea is what you, when you go to a restaurant and have hummus. I mean, so go ahead and give us a little background on that. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, the, these new proteins are adding different flavors and easier flavors to integrate and build into new food products. So chickpeas are a great example. 30, 40 years ago, we, we had chickpeas in, in the salad bars across North America. We put those garbanzo beans on top of our salads and we felt pretty cool. And then 15, 20 years ago, we took those chickpeas and we, we made them into hummus. And we used those and, 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 and for chips and dip and we enjoy that. That same chickpea is providing now the kind of protein and flavor that's being used to, for example, build milk, supplemental milk, where particularly with lactose intolerance, which is a lot of children are, suddenly chickpeas being used for that. The same chickpeas is being used to build gluten-free pasta. So we're sitting there, the people that have the, the celiac and the gluten intolerance suddenly can do that. So that's emerged. But what's happened, Damien, and you talked about it in your introduction, I call it, there's a little bit of food tribalism going on here, and it's really exciting. And I call it tribalism because it's one group is saying, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I, I'm doing this because I believe in, in, in animal welfare. Then another group is saying, I want to eat more plants because I believe in, 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 in reducing the carbon footprint of what I'm eating. The other group and some of the people that are my age, the, the baby boomers, they're sitting there saying, you know, I just think I can feel a little healthier if I start just getting a little more balance in my diet. Most of us are flexitarians. We, we want to, we want to still eat that beautiful steak. We just want to eat a little less of it. And we just want to increase the balance of plant-based into our diets. I'm not, I'm not sure that the listener uh, to this podcast wants to eat less steak, uh, but I can say (laughs) that. And and the reality is, you know, uh, per my research, red meat consumption, beef consumption has basically been static. So it's probably, even if it, I guess the example is, even if it stays the same, as you state, there is a bunch of room for these things. Like you said, um, only seven tenths of the percent of the population is actually celiac, but a bunch of people said, well, I just don't want to eat gluten, whatever. We should just say it's ridiculous, but you don't have celiac disease, but you know what? If you want chickpea, garbanzo bean-based pasta, we'll do it for you. And so yeah. that's kind of what Above food looks like it's doing. You're saying there's a whole bunch of demand for this. Uh, and by the way, what the heck is a lentil? For the person that's like, what's a lentil? What, what is it? Is it look like, what's it look like in the field? It looks like a lentil looks like a beautiful saucer. It looks like a flying saucer. It's, it's a short plant. It grows. It's a, it's a high, high protein pulse. It's in the same family as the pea or, or the bean would be a very same family, except it's got a little bit of a unique taste. And it's been, it's been very, it's been the protein of choice, the plant protein of choice in the Mediterranean countries for many, many years as soybean was sort of our protein of choice. Their protein of choice was the lentil. 
Yeah. That's what it was. So uh, you're, you're sitting there as above food and uh, you found this company. When did you found this company? We founded the company in 2017. And, and the, the hard part of it was, and, and I think you and I agree on this theme, you know, I listened to some of your philosophies that we founded on the principle that these new pulses, these new lentils and chickpeas and faba beans, the, the new proteins needed to be grown at scale the same way we were growing uh, our other cereal crops, or you were growing your soybeans in America. Yeah. We had to learn to grow them at scale. We've now accomplished that. Now we can grow these crops at scale and be very, very cost competitive, cost effective in growing them. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. It's like everything goes through its early niche category. Uh, I've got a, a, a piece of history here that in the state of Indiana, you know, we founded the American Soybean Association here in the you know early ni- 1920s or something. We grew like 80,000 acres of soybeans in the United States just a century ago, and now it's 90 million uh, acres. So, yeah, that's what's happening, it looks like. with, And I remind all of my audience folks that if you think that these alternative crops are just wacky, well, soybeans were wacky 100 years ago. Uh, cannoli was wack. Canola was wacky until 40-some years ago. Um, so what you described before we went on air you said exactly what Above Foods does. So we, you, you're sitting there saying, we think that we can grow all these plant-based proteins at scale, and they're going to get used for different sorts of pr- products. And, and we're not talking about impossible burgers and nothing mm-hmm. that's made in the laboratory. We're talking about stuff that's grown in the field mm-hmm. and being eaten as hummus or whatever. Take me from there, four years ago to now. Very, very good. So essentially, we've learned how to grow them at scale. We then understand the genetics that we need that'll have to go into the final form factor. If you can plant a seed today and you know that you're going to use it to make uh, a gluten-free pasta, you, you, you'll select the genetics that you're going to plant and move it through the value chain. What above does is that it starts by putting this uh, contracting to, the, to, to 40 select growers to put the seed in the ground. We, we acquire the entire crop. We move it through our ingredient value chain. We will then uh, take that particular crop and we'll produce an ingredient from it. We'll produce a, a flour. We'll produce uh, 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 other products that will from the chickpea. And then we'll sell that ingredient to a food manufacturer or a uh, Damien. We're going to go all the way that we're going to own our own brands as well. We want to be fully vertically integrated. We want to grow it at above and we want to, we want you to buy an above an above product at the end of uh, the value chain. So above food isn't really the farmer, although you could be. Most of it is contractual. You say, we know that there's a demand for this uh, hummus maker or this, mm-hmm. uh, this anywhere from whatever, Cisco Foods or to this restaurant chain to uh, uh, you know Trader Joe's, whatever it is. They want something. And you mm-hmm. say, okay, we're going to be, we're going to make it, we're going to get all that done for you. We're going to contract the producer in Montana or Saskatchewan to grow this. And it's going to be per these specs, right? Like that's the big thing is that they want certain specs, specifications. You know, you know, Damien, a really good example of that is a company who's done 
so well globally that it's an American success story in the food business, and that's the Tyson family. The Tyson family understood how to the right genetics for chicken, the right nutrition, the right husbandry, and they developed a protocol for growing great chickens. They then contracted a few thousand growers across America. And then along the way, my favorite story is I like to say, it's a little, it's a little, a little anecdotal. They stopped in Kentucky and met a military man called the Colonel and they decided they better be in the, in the chicken ingredient business. So they became chicken ingredient suppliers. Then today, when I go to, to buy chicken in, in, in Phoenix, guess what? 50% of those chicken brands, that I'm buying retail are actually Tyson brands. So they've done an amazing job of going from understanding how to grow that chicken and, and controlling that production all the way to you and I buying, you know, buying their retail chicken. And in the middle, we're, uh, we're buying things from the Colonel in the middle that they supply as well. Yeah. So, so you said above food, I'm going to create this company that's going to be sort of like that. So you contract with the producer. It's per a number of specifications. Uh, they're making money and then they get a guaranteed contract for the production. So many tons, bushels, whatever. And then, um, then it comes through you and you might be the, pro are you, you might be the processor or you might contract out the process. No, uh, we will initially, we are going to more and more, we're moving towards becoming the ingredient processor that's actually making the product. And then we will sell that product. We hope Damien, first of all, into private label. I mean, some great, great names like Kroger happen to be the largest plant-based uh, providers in, uh, in America uh, under the Kroger private label. So that'd be a very good target customer that we would sell our product to make product for and sell it to Kroger. But we'll also, we want the above eat up, the above food eat up brand as our mom and dad used to say, eat up Damien. That's what they used to tell us. Well, that's our brand. We want that brand as well to be on the retail shelf and grow that brand very slowly. Like Tyson did over yeah. 30 years, Tyson gained that retail brand controls what they did. And you have, you have uh the you'll be making other people's brands and you yes. already are, you already mm -hmm. are right now making other people's mm -hmm. brands, and you have your own brand or brands. Mm -hmm. You've got a mm -hmm. few different brands. Can I give me the yes. on that? Yeah, for sure. We there's a there's still an elite group of, of organic people in the world, and albeit we know that we can't afford to farm organic because we'd have too many hungry bellies in the world if we did. But there is an elite group who can afford organic, and our platform on organic is called Farmer Direct Organic. We are our significant suppliers to Whole Foods, the bulk bins. When you buy a bulk bin at Whole Foods, it's a very good chance you're buying our FDO Farmer Direct Organic. Uh, in, in for that for that market, and what we have product, a, what, what would that product be? It's uh, they're primarily whole grains. They'll be uh, they will be uh, green uh, green peas, yellow peas, lentils, bagged whole grains under the Farmer Direct Organic brand is what okay. they would be. And so yeah. then I go to Whole Foods, I buy uh, organic um, um, red. What did you call them? Uh, lentils? Let's use red lentils as an example. Lentils. By the way, there's folks right now that know me. They're laughing because they're like, the only time you go to Whole Foods is to do research and you've probably, <laughs> never, you've probably never taken home. How do you cook a lentil? I don't know. Um, I put it on the grill. If I can't put it on the grill and cook it like a steak, it'll probably happen. Okay. So that's one of your brands and that's going there already. And so you are going to continue to grow, expand that, uh, that business. 
as well yeah. as some other people. And we are, and Damien, I, I think the organic business is, is very, very slow to expand from this point forward. I think what's happening is, and you come from a, a great farming background, you're in Indiana, you know this for sure. We'll, we will continue to improve how we grow our crops naturally. And it's our responsibility as growers. Now I wear my grower hat for a minute. It's our responsibility as growers to continue to build naturally grown products more responsibly. And that's really where the growth is in the market. I don't think there's a great deal of growth in organic and that's where the growth is. So, so the first platform we have is organic. The second platform is exactly that. We call it regenerative natural. So it's naturally grown, non-organic. We, we, because we're growing these proteins in the Northern climates, as you're well aware, we have the benefit of the cold. We have the benefit of having less bugs, less critters, less disease, all these other things that allow us to grow a little more naturally, just because of the fact we're in this, in this 90 day frost-free period of 90 days. So we are able to grow the proteins more naturally. And that's really what our objectives are. Naturally grown proteins, high, high yield, uh, high, big scale, naturally grown. That's where we think the growth in the market is. Damian. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting because, uh, the, the organic thing that's been the big deal here for the last 20 years is how it was growing at, on a percentage basis at three times the rate of conventionally grown food. But remember, if you start with very little, yeah. three times growth rate is you know more easily attained when you're 1% of the marketplace or 4% of the marketplace or something like that. So I would concur the organic is growing, but it, it's the growth rate has decelerated based on everything that I'm reading and researching. And so there's almost like, yeah, that's still good. It's still there. Fine. It's a nice niche. It's a profitable niche appears to be. But now the regenerative, natural, naturally regenerative, I like it. And so do you dictate to your producers what practices they can? We, we do. We follow a standard uh, that we call the Natural Food um, Inspection Agency. And it's a standard, you know, we dictate, for example, all the crops that we produce are growing no-till. Why? Because we want carbon sequestration. No-till is a known carbon sequestration protocol. And we can, if not quantifiable, Damien, at least qualifiable carbon sequestration going on because it's no-till. Secondly, non-GMO. Third, no glyphosate. Uh, fourth, regenerative soil construction, where we, we, we ask the farmers to, to start being engaged in, in, in creating better biologicals and more regenerative soil in their naturally grown product. So what's so happened, Damien, is, is, is that the, the, the quality of natural is getting right up against the bottom of where organic was. Yeah. And, and yet it can be provided at perhaps 50% less cost. And that's really the benefit. Yeah. So what's interesting is a lot of folks don't know, and most people listen to this do probably that organic doesn't mean without pesticides. It, it's just a certain licensed amount of, you know, they still spray the heck out with cul copper or whatever. So what you said is your four stipulations on your lentil and pea and garbanzo bean and bean production is no-till uh, farming practices, meaning no cultivation. Non-GMO, which that means there's not you're not genetically engineered uh, mm -hmm. seed, mm -hmm. which 
are any of those even genetic? Is that even available? There's no GMO garbanzo uh, beans anywhere, are there? Uh, no, but if we go into uh, uh, if we if we want to go into what we would call a canola oil, a cold pressed canola oil, there is GMO available in that in in the cold in the in the oil sector. There yeah, is. right. So, so in, the, in the beans and lentils and peas, there are no genetically engineered no. traits available right now. Anyhow, but canola no. there is. Okay, so mm. no till non GMO. No usage of glyphosate, which is mm-hmm. better known as Roundup uh, as the trade name. And then what was your fourth one, Lionel? I, it's it's um, the biological, soil biologicals. And, and, uh, and Damien, while some of your readers who are basic core farm producers may not appreciate uh, our, our fifth, the consumers that we sell to do, we also have a social license um, side of growing where, where we actually have our growers, uh, complete, complete, uh, uh, a form and, and, and attest to how they're managing things like, uh, uh, social license disposal of, 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 of liquids, uh, uh, liquids on their farming, on their farm, just trying to create a better environmental footprint through social license and, and that sort of thing. I know that's, that, that sometimes feels a little soft at the producer level. At the consumer level, it actually has, has, has some teeth. Remember, our second biggest driver for plant-based protein is an environmental driver. You said it right. It's environmental food. First is health, a feeling of health. The second is that environmental food driver. And I think we have to provide a, a better platform for that. And we do. We ask our growers to, what's your policy on, on, uh, on a variety of different methods that they're using that, that really would touch the environment as well. So, uh, by the way, if you forgot, dear listener, this is Lionel Cambites, co-founder and CEO of a company called Above Food. And what, we're, uh, what he just said, um, and I, I, he, we didn't cover this at all before we started taking it. I've been telling my agricultural audiences since uh, early winter that here's what's coming down the pike. To have to eventually, if you want to be a producer, especially of more niche products, there will be a company that gives you their ESG, their environmental, their social, and their governance standards. Because 10 years ago, only about 80 of the S&P 500 companies published ESG mandates and standards. And now it's 90 some percent, over 450, I think, of the five Fortune 500 companies said, Here's how we tell our vendors they need to behave to do business with us. And you're saying, screw them. But the reality is the consumer will demand and even generally pay a premium if they say, you know what? I buy this above food branded product because I know that their farmers aren't um, dumping manure down into the streams or disposing of their uh, unused chemical by just uh, throwing it out. Those are the kinds of things that increasingly are going to impact us. And as you stated, the consumer, do they pay a premium for that? Or they just demand it and say, that's what we're going to do. We're going to bitch. You know, it's, I I think at the end of the day, organic has tried to develop a premium around that. Damien, I think it's going to be table stakes going forward. The fact is that they're just going to expect it. And thank you for mentioning ESG. It's that's exactly what this is. What I've just defined in those five protocols that I've mentioned to you is really an ESG, an an ESG environment around all the things. You know, we asked a question, a very difficult, we actually wanted to determine 
uh, some of the some of the the standards that are put forward for worker safety. Every industry in the world has worker safety. We, you and I know the last industry is primary agriculture that really has to start valuing worker safety. Just that recognition at our grower level, just putting on a seminar for our growers specifically about that, this will help them be better growers and, and we'll be able to meet that ESG audit requirement uh, moving forward, Damien. Yeah, and... and um... I, and I, I, again, don't shoot the messenger. I know that some of my uh, production <laughs> ag people are probably like, wow, hey, here's the reality. Um, if you want your meat to be processed by uh, any of the big processors, if you were doing things not up to their protocols, you would not have the contract. If you were growing barley to go in my beloved Coors Banquet beer and you were growing it uh, in, in all sorts of environmentally insensitive ways, eventually somebody, the Coors rep that comes out and gives you your contract, is going to say, hey, we ain't renewing you. So this has been going on for a while. I just believe it's going to become even more uh, of the norm and even probably in stuff that's not just, uh, you know, maybe it used to be just for barley or whatever. I think it's going to be everything. I mean, I guess you could still just produce number two yellow corn, take it to the elevator discreetly and dump it. But anything that, is tying the supply chain together like you are. And I want you to do me two things. Who monitors and measures those standards that you are, you're, you're marketing them to your consumer, right. whether right. you market them to Kroger or to Kroger's customer. Mm-hmm. But you got to, if you get caught once, not adhering to that Lionel, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So who's, thank you. Who's doing Damien, the is, isn't that? Isn't that the truth? And they, of course it's, the, the, the very first discipline is the chain of custody. Now, the identity preserved chain of custody is very difficult. And ultimately, what we do is we start by, by actually creating a biomarker on the foods that we grow. It's almost like a genetic fingerprint. Every, every piece of protein has a genetic fingerprint. So we create a biomarker through our, through our company on the foods that we've grown so we can track and trace all the way through. If somebody at the end of that value chain, uh, Damien's restaurant chain, says something about our protein, would be able to track and trace it all the way back through, through a genetic biomarker through the system. But ultimately, it starts with grower audits and grower education, grower audits. And then eventually, you develop a trust relationship and you, you, you start decreasing the frequency of those grower audits, for example, on no-till. We, you know, if no till, you either are no till or you aren't no till. There's no, there's no, there's no gray area there. We, you know, is it quantifiable no till? Yes, it is. Good. Okay. So what are your, what are your practice? Let's your, your, your genetics. Okay. You, we will supply you with the genetics. So we know they're not GMO. All right. Glyphosate is just a test. You and I know that the glyphosate test that doesn't lie. The test doesn't lie. In some cases, unfortunately, your neighbors drift is going to be harmful to you. And we have to be cautious and watch that. So yes, early on, there's the protocols that are required to make sure that it meets our standard. And ultimately it becomes self-fulfilling. The growers become better producers. We can grow all the things that we do and say, uh, we'll, we'll add no cost or very little cost to producing a pound of great garbanzo beans. It just will add so little cost 
some of it is just awareness and it's a, it's table stakes. It, it'll be table stakes for that, that new consumer in, in Philadelphia and Boston and New York. Right. And he or she, they're reading the label. They've got a QR code on the label. They take a picture of it. They want to know how it was growing. It's their right to do it. They're spending their dollar. So, you know? so the question that I ask you is who's doing the monitoring you just said, uh, it's pretty easy for you as a company to do that. So you're, you're, you're not relying because the organic thing, uh, allegedly relies on government approved auditors, which means I can mm-hmm. go and take my licensing. And then through the USDA, I say to be organically compliant, boom, boom, boom. And I have always pointed out that that probably works well and good here in, uh, in Nebraska. But what if I am or- organically approved and I'm in a third world country? Um, the same places where you're afraid to drink the water, the same places, that, that, you know, if you go and take a pee in, in Mexico in a bar and it says, don't, don't get in trouble. You don't be in a Mexican jail tonight. Um, are those places really adhering to the standards? And I would say that there's room for maybe questioning as to whether or not there's, they're really doing the standards, but you well, are doing this in here in Canada, the United States, yourself as a company. We, we are, and we're adhering to a standard that we're calling the Natural Food Inspection Agency. It's a standard that we're adhering to, that we're, we're following, and ultimately are going to be providing that stamp on our food. So that's a good start. And Damon, your point's well taken. Uh, uh, the country will, 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 rename, will, name, uh, will remain nameless, but we were ex- we'd be exporting organic yellow peas to an Asian country, and then we'd find ourselves... Uh, receiving back finished organic products, all grown in Canada originally. And we had more tons coming back than we originally shipped out that were organically grown in the first place. So uh, Damien, I, I appreciate your, 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 your point there. We have to be very judicious and cautious. At the end of the day, we hope that the NFIA stamp is going to be on our foods and people will say, Yes, I trust it. It means no glyphosate. It means no GMO. It means carbon sequestration. It means better regenerative soils. And lastly, social license. It means social license. So that's the intent here, Damien. Uh, by the way, the, the listeners that are out here saying, you know, I, this guy, he sounds like he's a little bit of a tree hugger. Um, let's go ahead and tell him real quickly. You're from a fourth generation uh, massive farming operation in Saskatchewan, and you did have livestock growing up. Right. We did. We did. And I told uh, Damien earlier that I have, a, I have a bad case of bovinitis. I just happen to love cattle. And, and we, 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 we have a 70,000 acre farm here in Southern Saskatchewan. It's a 1899 homestead, fourth generation. The fifth generation, my son is managing it today. And the sixth generation was sitting on my, uh, with a diaper on, on my knee uh, last night, as a matter of fact, uh, when we were watching Tampa Bay and the Montreal Canadiens play hockey. So how's that for a, a great, and, and Tampa won, by the way, which is good. So uh, yes, uh, Damon, we, our hearts, our, our roots are in agriculture. But we have to recognize that we can get ahead of the world here. United States and Canada can get ahead of the world and grow these amazing high, high, uh, high productivity, high scalable crops, big bushels per acre. And those crops can be the most naturally grown in the world. We can come right up against that, that higher growing standard and be leaders in doing it. So I believe in that. And, you know, we're not tree huggers. We're actually pragmatists. We just realized this is table stakes to a young 35-year-old mother in L.A. This is table stakes to her. She wants to buy that kind of food. 
So. Yeah, and uh, and there's also tremendous economic uh, opportunity, as you pointed out. When when I'm there in Montana a few years ago, and I'm doing a thing for the Montana, I'm doing a speech for the Montana Grain Growers Association. And I'm talking to a producer. He's a sharp guy, and he says, "Yeah, again, we just used to do uh, you know barley and wheat or whatever." Up here, he's like, "Now we got this other crop," and he says, "Hell, we're making a lot of money." Well, good, 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 good for the people in Saskatchewan, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, wherever that should be. Um, is it come down? Do you think is there going to be is there going to be a dispute between you and um, and say the Tyson like you talked about? Because um, are people going to switch off from from chicken to your? No, problem? no. I, I I think this is a very very slow. Uh, this is a slow uh, a slower revolution. I think the 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 young are 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 are, are young young women under the age of sixteen. The number of them that are that are, are are practicing veganism is is a phenomena, and it has to be addressed, which is interesting. Uh, there's people that are uh, the next generation has some has some interest in animal rights, and 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 we know that that in that protocol, animal rights has come so far and has done such good work. We understand how well. The, the, the animal tissue business has come in terms of hormones and some of the other things that were the original enemies. What we're doing in plant-based agriculture is, is what is really to a certain degree what the meat industry has, has done for the last many years. You mentioned earlier, they are getting better at, at, at being healthier. They're getting better at, at, at all the things that they have to do uh, to build better food. So I think it's a slow, it's, it's a slow, a slow push in that regard. But there is, there is, a, there are countries in the world that, that the issue is not enough uh, protein. Let's use India, which is primarily a vegetarian country, but the issues are, uh, chain of custody and the quality of the protein. You know, one of the things we do in America, Canada, and a few European countries is we just take food safety and food branding for granted. You and I go to the store, we throw it in the darn cart. We want to get out of there as quickly as possible so we can go home and watch the ball game and, 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 and eat, eat whatever we put in the cart. We don't realize that, that, that there's only about a billion and a half of us in the world who live in an environment where there is food safety. The rest, it's all buyer beware. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, this is a terrible thing to say, but the last time I was in China, my daughter and I were there. We we're traveling down the road. We stopped at a at a store and we bought some groceries and we bought six Heineken, the the, the most recognized beer brand in the world. We took it back to our hotel room, and it was counterfeit beer. It had been packaged in a Heineken box, and it wasn't Heineken beer. Just, just, it, it just made me realize that how we take food and label safety for granted. So I think the plant-based food business can, can, and what we're doing in America and Canada can, can really help the, the other parts of the world that are today relying primarily on plant-based foods, Damien. Yeah. And you mentioned India. It's my understanding that a lot of the plant proteins you're talking about go there and uh, it's about a two thirds vegetarian uh, country. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll say it's more than that because they're supposed to not eat beef because of religion and all that. But the truth is they like a good steak once in a while too. But a lot of your stuff's going there and you can bring, as you say, quantity because of our efficiency of production. And you can also bring a, a safety. And so it's yes. very good for the, the nation's hungry. You know, there's not a lot of fat Indians. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of, <laughs> so, I mean, they, they need, they need, they need your product. Yeah, they do. They do, Damien. And in America, we don't we, we take this for granted, us farmers. And I'm and I'm raised on the farm and you are raised on the farm there as well, Damien. 
but we don't realize that what we've accomplished in agriculture is, is in terms of scale and quality is absolutely world leading, world beating. It's amazing what we've accomplished. We're, we're right at the cusp of actually feeding the world better, just safer, better. We can do, we can do that here. America and Canada can drive that. Our, we're, we're a company that's going to simply take that philosophy and move it through the entire food chain. And it's, 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 it's exciting. I, I agree with you. And it is exciting. Uh, that's why I wanted to have you on because there's a lot of growth potential here. And again, dear listeners that are out there in the pork, poultry, meat, but no, I'm not doing it. I'm not selling you out. I just see, uh, you know, what I do, you want to be successful in tomorrow's agriculture, see where the customer is and where the customer is going. And since we talked about hockey, it's the most overused quote in business of all time. But since I got a Canadian on here who loves hockey, what did Green, Wayne Gretzky say? You don't, you know, you're not you're not the best hockey player. You're not called the great one because you skate to where the puck is. You skate to where the puck is going, and that's where that's where above food is. They're they're going to where the consumer is going. Maybe more so in some of the other countries. Um, numbers. You got anything for me as we close out the door here, Lionel? You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're we're uh, we're about a 220 to 250 million dollar company right now on revenue. We're accelerating to be a billion dollar company by 2025. So we're going to be a billion dollar company by 20. Now, our challenge, Damien, is to take what you and I know very well how to grow these foods better, and to take those up and keep bringing more of those into our value chain to build ingredients. So our challenge is to continue to take the best proteins, the best chickpeas in the world may be grown in Chester, Montana. So let's take that best garbanzo bean from Chester, Montana, take custody of it, move it through the chain and figure out how to build the highest quality hummus, the best pasta, the best gluten-free pasta. That's where we have to spend our money to improve our margins and build our company on that. So yeah. we're, 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 we're controlling the custody of the best proteins in the world. Now we're going to control the, the ingredient manufacturing portion of it as well, Damien. Yeah. And I think the, the neat thing is there, we didn't talk about just doing it low cost, you know, ag forever of your life and my life has always been about, I can make more of it and do it cheaper, which is a very commodity mindset. It's also a zero return. You've got, you've got to get out of that. You talked about better. You talked about standard. You talked about uh, consumer appeal through things that are important to them. You never once said we can be cheaper. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. His name's Lionel Cambites. He's a co-founder and CEO of Above Food, which you've got some exciting news. In the next few months, what's going to happen with Above Food? Well, we're just looking to uh, we're, we're our intentions are to go public on the on the Nasdaq in New York City and and raise and and raise uh, uh, additional funds and the monies that we're going to be raising will be used to take that chickpea and process it into that ingredient. This is the next round for us to do. So we're excited. Above's going to be trading on the Nasdaq. We're going to be available to 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 have producers watch us, to have consumers watch us, and. Damien, to have the business of agriculture watch us as well. That's right. Well, the business of agriculture might end up being an investor because you've uh, you've had <laughs> some pretty good you've had some pretty good reasoning about how this company can grow and expand because of what's happening in the marketplace. Anyway, thank you very much for being here. He's the CEO of Above Food. Go and check him out. The, if they want to ch- contact you, they go to abovefood.com. Exactly right, Damien. 
But continued success, by the way, and, and the, the kind of job that you're doing and bringing, bringing, bringing ideas like this to the face of producers in agriculture, critically important. So thanks a lot for your interest, Damien, in this. I appreciate that. All right. Sam, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Please, uh, you know, pass this along to anybody, even a non-ag person. It's great stuff. Thank you, Lionel, for being here. All the best. Take care now. Until next time, it's the business of agriculture. Thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast sponsored by Land Trust. Land Trust partners with farmers and ranchers to capture pure profit from sportsmen seeking new experiences and places to hunt and fish. Land Trust built the platform and does the marketing. You maintain 100% control of access and activities, and you set the rules. There's no cost or obligation when you list, and the next 10 Business of Agriculture listeners who go to landtrust.com slash BOA are eligible for a gift worth over $2,000.